Good evening, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I'm your host, Austin, here for this evening, and I am joined by Sully. Hello. And Tori. Hello. Hi, guys. How's it going? Sully, what's up with you these days? Well, nothing much has changed between this recording and the episode that I recorded two or three days ago that'll probably out <laughs> soon. So, uh, doing okay. Lots of pollen. <laughs> Lots of pollen. And uh, what episode was that? If you want, if uh, our listeners happened to miss that, which they totally shouldn't have, but if they did, what was that episode about? Uh, that was me, Ryan, and John discussing the Super Mario Brothers uh, anime feature, The Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach, where we were all kind of underwhelmed and amazed by its majesty. <laughs> <laughs> underwhelmed and amazed by its majesty. Can that be like. Can that be, the, like, the quote line on the uh, eventual DVD that's never coming out? You have my permission. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll uh, be in touch with my with the contacts I don't have over at Discotech and Nintendo. Uh, Tori, how are you? Um, I'm good. Also dying from pollen. Mm-hmm. And also dying from trying to finish my semester. So, mm-hmm. that's it. <laughs> what is the toughest class you're in right now? All of them all of them <laughs> no it's it's in all honesty it's like my psychology class because the guy is not a very good teacher and mm. so every time we all take tests in his class we all just do really bad so I, it'll be a miracle if i pass this class with at least a d <laughs> well i can speak for myself and probably sully because i think he's pretty decent in that we are definitely rooting for you thank you d for degree have you never heard that no i was always like i remember so many people i went to school with like there was this girl in my uh my science fiction literature class who did not do very well and she always goes well d's get degrees and i was like you know okay do you do you Uh, yeah i know when you're when you're in your senior semester or your senior year of college and you have bags upon bags under your eyes, and you're wearing nothing but raggedy sweat shirts and sweatpants. That that's the mantra. These get degrees. I've I've also heard C's get degrees, but this is very off topic. So let's move. Perhaps on. B's get degrees. Too. B's definitely. Or even A's. <laughs> F's fail. I mean, I think B's are pretty smart, so I would think B's get A's. But they cause pollen. In the head with a B to don't, don't they? Wait. Oh, no. It's gum full circle now. <laughs> I think that flowers cause pollen. Bees like pollen. They, they I'm not a science. I was not a science major. Anyway, uh, on this episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, we're going to be talking about, uh, well, Tori and I are going to be talking about our recent trip to New York City to see a couple of interesting anime and Japanese pop culture related events, I guess you could say. Sure. Uh, we've we brought Sully on because he is a specific expert in one of the things that we're going to be talking about, which is we are going to be sort of reviewing, I suppose, the the Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon, the musical, the Super Live or something. It's got a ridiculous long Japanese title that is pretty excellent, I think. Um, but yeah, we did get a chance to go up to Manhattan and see that, and it was a wonderful experience. Uh, Sully, I'm really sorry that you didn't get to come with us, and I apologize. I hope you uh, hope you understand uh, the groveling that I'm doing right now in front of you. 
Well, you had texted me uh, just like like maybe an hour ago saying, hey, I have a really big favor. Can you come on and talk about the, the show that you did not get to see with us? And I was like, sure, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> well, you know, I wanted to have your expertise on here because like you are the person that is the most knowledgeable of Sailor Moon musicals that at least I could think of while sitting and having my tacos at the local Mexican restaurant. No, no one else popped into my mind, really. I, I have submitted a, a panel on the Sailor Moon musicals to Animazement, so uh, hopefully that'll get accepted and then everyone can come and sit for an hour and hear me talk about Sailor Moon musicals as though anyone else other than me cares. <laughs> I, it, I mean, well, judging by the enthusiasm of that crowd, I can guarantee you at least the occupancy of the PlayStation Theater cares. And I hope all of them will come to Animazement, which they won't because they suck and they're probably far away. But anyway, all right. So before we get into that, uh, Tori and I, we are still on that Mob Psycho train. Season two is very good. Um, Though I do have a couple of concerns as to where the series is going in the very final episodes like we're the show is over at this point but we are not quite there yet and thankfully i have not had any of it spoiled for me so that's yes, awesome same. thank you thank you Please twitter feed dms spoilers right now no don't do that <laughs> um but yeah i have a couple of concerns that the show is going in a direction that the previous season did that i didn't Love. I mean, it's not that I hated it, but uh, I'm going to reserve judgment until we get finished up. Maybe we'll talk about Mob a little bit later. Um, but I am also watching through Sailor Moon for the first time, so that's been really fun. Uh, Tori, you and I watched a couple episodes yesterday with like a, yes. a weird haunted bus, and that was neat. <laughs> it's like um, one of, That's such an iconic episode. So far, my yeah. favorite episode and my least favorite episode is like the spooky rabbit. Yes. Uh, like, I really didn't like that episode, but I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. So many of the season one episodes are, uh, or especially the early ones are Jedi, uh, does some sort of, uh, dark magic tomfoolery to something, and then everyone in, in, in Tokyo has to deal with it, and it's kind of hilarious. By buying stuff. By buying, yeah. it's usually, like, usually Jedi is like, and the real monster was consumerism all mm-hmm. along. Capitalism, <laughs> baby. And so I, I, like, as much as I dislike Jedi as a character because he is this sort of, like, he's, he makes, like, of all the steno, he makes me think of, like, this dumb frat boy who, like, thinks he knows better than everyone. It's like, I'm, bruh, I'm so I'm glad you steal get- hearts and stuff for evil, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I'm so glad he gets frozen. Sorry, Austin, I spoiled yeah. it. Um, it's all right. That's, that's it's not, not like I, yeah. not like I actively cared about that character anyway. Yeah. Uh, but it's but at the same time, his episodes tend to be the most uh over the top until you get to like when Zoicide is the main villain, and then you have like uh, a boxing priest in the graveyard, and then you're just like, you know what? You just you go with it. You you lean into it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for that. That sounds exciting. <sighs> sounds way better than a spooky rabbit. Our first major gay villain is also the one who makes things just completely and totally stupid. Yeah. Go figure. <laughs> is making things stupid a superpower? If so, I have it. Well, it's not really him. It's that like there's this weird sub it's not like a, a subplot, I guess you could call it that, of where Queen Beryl's like, well there are seven legendary Yoma who have been turned into crystals and then turned into people, and it's your job to go find those people 
and one of them is a priest and one of them is like a, a gamer nerd and then one of them is a cat and you're just like okay you know i guess you know the reincarnation of monsters is just whoever they feel like being yeah hmm. Well, we are definitely going to be bringing this conversation back to Sailor Moon here in just a little bit. But first of all, Tori, you and I, well, you got to see your very first Broadway play this past weekend. And what did we go see? We saw Frozen and it's been almost two weeks and I cannot stop thinking about it. (laughs) Well, to be fair, you haven't been able to stop thinking about Frozen since you first watched it. That's valid. That's very valid. But see, I used to hate Frozen. And I would like to thank uh, going to Disney for the first time for brainwashing me into loving Frozen. Um, you know, I will say that the Frozen expanded universe really lifts up that original film oh, in my it mind, so at least. Oh, it does. Like, the musical... The musical... Okay, so I have some gripes, and it basically was just delivery of a very iconic line, and everything else was perfect, and I just don't care, and it was amazing. And... The costumes were beautiful, the actors and the actresses, I think, were all very spectacular, except for Hans. Um, The set pieces were really incredible, the effects were incredible. Um, I think I was a little bit biased because it was Baby's first Broadway show, Um, but like, I would die for Elsa and Anna, and it was just really, really, really cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think... um... It's really interesting to see the whole Frozen on Broadway thing come full circle because, like, Frozen in of itself, because of Idina Menzel being Elsa, mm-hmm. and, like, a lot of the story beats are not really pulled from Wicked, but are, like, Wicked-inspired. Yes. Um, it's very interesting to then see Frozen as a Broadway play mm-hmm. where Wicked is a very extremely famous Broadway play. I think in some ways, maybe just because it's newer source material and it resonates a little bit with the modern time, whereas Wicked is a little bit, I guess, dated at this point. I maybe. having I seen both seen Wicked, Wicked, so well, for, just speaking from my personal perspective, like having seen both Wicked and Frozen on Broadway, I'm a little bit more inclined to like Frozen better. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like the Ozaverse. Just, I, I really like the Ozaverse, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. Is that a proper way to describe it, Sully? <laughs> uh, I, I usually refer to it as the Oz canon, but then, like, I'm the same person who says, after, like, the Emerald Seed of Oz, I don't care about the books anymore because I get kind of childish. <laughs> That's fair enough. And, like, Wicked is very much not, it's not really an Ozaverse thing. It's more of a, it's very tied to the movie. The 39 movie, I guess. yeah. Yeah, so it does have that disconnect there, but I think just as an overall piece, and maybe it's my inherent bias against Wicked a little bit, I kind of like Frozen better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think if you have any gripes with the movie, or you found yourself not really liking the Frozen movie, if you have the chance to go see the Broadway play, I would really push for it, because I think it fixes everything, mm-hmm. at least for me personally, that I found not so great about the film. Like, the lack of songs in the last part, and just character development, and it really, it, like, really just has more time to show more about how these characters feel, and how they operate, and Mm -hmm. does Elsa know I would die for her? (laughs) I think she does. Okay, that's good. That's Mm -hmm. all I have. But yeah, I I would agree, like, the Frozen Broadway musical, just because it has more time, Mm -hmm. um... It really does lift up those weaker parts of the story, I think. Um, and padding it out with more songs is really good. 
because it's just such a bummer to think back on that Frozen movie and think, oh, what was the final song in that film? Fixer Upper, which mm-hmm. is arguably the worst song in that entire movie by a significant margin. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, after Frozen, actually, the reason we went up to New York was to see, um, and I bought these tickets sort of on a whim the day that they went on sale. Yes. Like, I had no plans to actually do this. You had not mentioned it at all. Um, very impulsively, I bought tickets to go see Perfume, uh, which if you're not familiar with Perfume, they are a incredibly famous uh, Japanese uh, girl pop group. Um, they are... They've been operating since the early 2000s. It's a three. It's a trio of girls, um, and they are incredibly talented musicians. Their brand of J-pop has sort of set the standard for the genre in a lot of ways, especially into like the modern time, mm-hmm. um, because it's like I don't know, like techno pop, electro pop sort of deal. But it's very like it's very poppy and peppy, but not in the same way that like Kyari is, because mm-hmm. Kyari is very bubblegum. Yes. Whereas Perfume is a little bit more, um, well, excuse if me, like you were laid a, back, I'd say. If you were an early days perfume fan, um, um, they, <laughs> they did start doing like the traditional, yeah, like not bubblegum Kyari style, but they did do more like what you would think of when you think of like early like to mid 2000s stuff when it comes to J-pop. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they definitely have moved towards that like futuristic cyber style of pop music and it's pretty cool i think they've done like a really flawless transition into that usually Mm -hmm. most people when they or most musicians when they start to change up their sound i feel like it's kind of jarring so but i don't think they never really ran into that problem Mm -hmm. i don't think and with perfume it doesn't seem like it was a it was a quick decision either it felt like Mm -hmm. a natural evolution Um, yes i mean i'll be honest you you've been into perfume for a really long time since what you said like middle school or something like that since 2007 (laughs) yeah so basically middle school when you were 2000 was 2007 was before you were born you small child absolutely Um, yeah for sure (laughs) um but yeah like um i'm a very very recent uh perfume fan so i got into them maybe back in 2014 or 15 or so because uh uh, Sully, I think this was before you started coming, but someone in the very early days of uh, Japanese club in uh, college did a um, presentation on. It's that particular music producer that produced like all of Perfume's music. It's the guy music. from Capsule, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the guy from Capsule. I forget his name right off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, he's a very influential uh, music producer in Japan, is really behind a lot of the big uh, pop pop music uh performers there and um this guy in the club did a presentation on him and i thought it was really good he showed like some kyari music videos and i already knew who kyari was but he showed perfume and i'm just like wow this is this is like just as good as kyari but like i can actually listen to these songs like over and over again and not feel like my brain is about to explode Mm -hmm. no 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 offense kyari i love you too don't diss our goddess that way i was about to say Uh, I i really i really do like kyari but like it's it's hard for me to like sit through an entire album of kyari i'd rather listen yeah. to like one song at a time spread out over the course of like a day see before <laughs> because, we like... started recording uh austin you sent me 
a music video of Perfume, and I, I, I don't know anything about them. And I, when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, this does make me think of Kiari Pamu Pamu. Like, and I, mm-hmm. I re- like, I'm the opposite. Like, I was thinking, I would listen to this, to this if there was more of a hook. And that's what I like about her music, is it is, it makes me think of, like, Lady Gaga, where it's like, it's not really about, like, being very clever, necessarily, or being, it's, it's more about, like, it makes you feel happy, and it's got, like, a good hook yeah. and a good beat. And yeah. so... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could see myself like slowly getting in the perfume if I'm looking for something mm-hmm. where I, I don't have to turn my brain off. Like Kiari's stuff is not, it, it's fun to look at and it's sugary and it's, it's just, it's not necessarily like this intellectual exercise of music. Like some right, musicians yeah. are when you want to kind of think about the lyrics or the, the meaning of the tune or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the producer is Yasutaka Nakata and he's the other oh, half okay, of you. Capsule. Yes. And... Um, that just reminded me, because I, I kind of forgot it was him, but there was, like, there used to be old school, like, uh, perfume fandom drama. Um, what was more Chiari drama? Because I feel like it was general consensus for a while that he cared a lot more about producing perfume than Chiari. So mm. it seemed like he did a lot more for them, like, like to make them sound better versus, like, Chiari kind of just putting out, like, the same song over and over. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was that was a fun time. So was that just fans being salty, or did you yeah. think there was actually any truth behind that? Um, I think a little bit of both. I feel like mostly people being salty because, like, I mean, you could make the same argument about perfume and like about pop music in general. Yeah, a lot of it does sound the same, but um, I don't know. I I can kind of see that in a way, but mm-hmm. I don't really have time to go into that as much as I would love to. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, I, I can't really speak to any of that. But what I can speak to is that the concert was awesome. It was so cool. Uh, Perfume yeah. told me directly to brush my teeth. Um, <laughs> so now every time I think about, or every time I, well, every time I think about brushing my teeth, which is while I'm brushing my teeth, I also think about Perfume. <laughs> yeah, um, so that actually, I was doing research um, while we were sitting there because I was just like, what <laughs> um, okay so pro- provide some context real quick for people uh, well, like what one, why did i mention that one i learned new new um new vocabulary that i unfortunately cannot remember of how to refer to my teeth but um perfume had a advertisement with some some oral healthcare brand and they wrote that jingle for like them like perfume like i guess they wrote the jingle or their producer so anyway they perfume made the song for the commercial and so they perform it live at their concerts which is really weird and interesting (laughs) but like the like the crowd i guess people who are like more more into keeping up with like current perfume stuff they were going nuts they were like oh my god oh my god oh my god it was it was weird I mean, and even for us, though, we didn't immediately know what was happening. Like It, it was, was still very entertaining. 
yeah, it was it was a wonderful little moment. Like they, I, I know that most most artists, no matter what genre, no matter what country you're from, they will stop the show for a little bit and like do a little back and forth talking with the with the crowd. Um, but like a couple times during the perfume show, like they would play like five or six songs in a row, and then they would stop for like a good uh, ten minutes or so and have mm-hmm. like a back and forth conversation with the audience. And uh, mm-hmm. one of those moments was when they were doing the teeth thing. And it was like front teeth, back teeth, front teeth, left teeth or whatever, yeah. something like that. A little jingle kind of like that. And they would say it in, in Japanese and have the uh, um, audience repeat it back to them. So it, it was just a wonderful, cute little moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they even grabbed somebody out of the audience who was fluent in both uh, English and Japanese. And she and was Spanish. from, <laughs> yeah, she was from like Puerto Rico or somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, she was a, a speaker of three different languages, and they had her translate uh, all the stuff that they could not say uh, in English because they did speak pretty pretty good English. At least um, Achan and uh, Nochi did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember them saying that like, oh, this is this is not as comfortable as I thought it would be. <laughs> right, right. Like speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked their um, audience interaction, and uh, I, I guess just my preconceived notions about how rigid the rules in the Japanese pop music world seem to be. I don't know that I really expected any of that going in. I kind of just expected a, um, sort of them to do their show, do their dances, do the, do the songs and all that stuff. And maybe a little bit of hi, New York. How are you? We are perfume. Thank you for coming. And they definitely did all of that, Mm -hmm. but it was so much more that I really expected. mm, It felt very genuine, because my thing is, like, idol culture is very much, yeah, we're going to pretend to be your best friend, so you'll buy our merchandise. But, like, and we, just, like, the whole, we want to make you feel included, because it's all about, like, sales and stuff. But, like, Perfume's crowd interaction actually felt really, really genuine. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun, because that's just not something that you really see. And they were, Mm -hmm. um... They were just acknowledging of everybody. Like, I even made that post about how, like, they were, like, shouting out, like, non-binary and just, like, trans people in their audience and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that's really unusual because I know Mm -hmm. there's, you know, those movements are becoming more and more popular in Japan, but that's still, I feel like, not a very still widely accepted thing, even though it's there. Mm -hmm. And um, just to hear that, I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, it was a great moment where they were just like, all the boys scream, all the girls scream, everybody else scream. Yeah. So it was, it was just a wonderful little simple nod to uh, mm-hmm. to all of those fans that identify that way. And I that's really special and very mm-hmm. kind of them to do that. Absolutely. And they also told us about the wonderful pizza they ate. Crispy and all pizza. That stuff. Yeah, <laughs> crispy pizza. Um, so it, it was just... It was just such a delight, even though we were basically watching, like, from our perspective where we were, <laughs> like, I was basically watching the concert in four by three aspect ratio because I was watching it through two pillars. <laughs> and, like, I could only ever see, like, two of them at a time. And I would, you know, catch a glimpse every now and again of, of all three of them together. Mm-hmm. And I could only see, like, half of the screen behind them, which I really hate because the screen stuff was crazy cool. Yeah. Um, it was more than them just playing like their music videos on the background. It was a lot of really impressive visual art mm-hmm. uh, to go along with all of the songs. And their their dance moves are just 
fun. Crazy good. <laughs> they're so much fun. And they're like, they're not, I mean, who am I to say? But they do not look particularly elaborate. They look Trust like very me. simple moves. <laughs> oh, no, I believe you. I know that they are elaborate, but it's like they don't come off as very elaborate. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's interesting that they can do so much with what seems to be very simple movements Mm -hmm. just because of how incredibly talented they are at dancing Mm -hmm. like they're not they're not on the stage like doing flips and stuff like acrobatics (laughs) yeah they're not doing that it's just like really simple like jumps and leaps and pata pata uh, style dancing but to the extreme right it's it's really impressive and like mm-hmm. you can see that throughout all their music videos as well so mm-hmm. it was it was just a wonderful experience i would uh love to see them again i really really hope that they come back mm-hmm. um and they played like all oh they played at least all of the songs i wanted to hear mm-hmm. um like they played they basically did three sets or so they did um future pop which is their latest album they did like five or six songs from that then they took a break and then they did some like more oldies (laughs) like like oldies but still like somewhat recent like from their last couple albums and then the last bit was like more of their older stuff and i was like oh Um, god this was like 2007 2008 oh yeah so it was great to see them play like a huge variety and like not focus just on like future pop and like level e or something like that Yeah, and speaking speaking of oldies (laughs) um a lot of the concert attendees had to at least have been older 20s and up Mm-hmm. Like, I think the only children I saw were adults bringing their children, like their young children, to see Perfume, which I'm assuming they probably listened to Perfume with their kids. Probably. It seemed to be a, an audience that skewed older and, and mm-hmm. a lot of Asian uh, audience members there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, a lot. Yeah. Not just... Yeah. A huge variety of people that seem to have come from, from all over. Mm-hmm. Um... And uh, the merch was really cool, albeit a little bit expensive. Um, I would have liked to have bought their like fan club T-shirt because that one was the one with the coolest design. But yeah, it, but it was fifty. Bucks. It was very expensive. <laughs> but it came with a a like I don't know how long, but it was a membership like membership access. So I'm sure you got like special updates and like videos and photos and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff. So that's that's big on the idol scene. Mm, I see. I see. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did think it was pretty funny. And uh, your friend Christine, who lives in New York, um, she pointed this out and thought, and I thought it was really funny. There were some guys out in front of the venue after the concert mm-hmm. selling really cheap prints of of per, of perfume, like five dollar prints. Yeah. And like obviously, you could tell they just went to like FedEx Kinkos and got a whole bunch of copies or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like. I kind of, I kind of respect your hustle. Like I kind of yeah, do. Right. It's a hustle. Only sweater. in New York City. Yeah, I mean. I know. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't. Hi, Christine. Know. I know you're listening. <laughs> Hi, Christine. Um, yeah, like I don't know, or really care about the ethical implications of that because, like, it's not like perfume and the music company didn't make like bukus of cash off of that. Exactly. Yeah. So, and they weren't selling like horrible printed pictures either mm-hmm. um they so, splurged anyway. the glossy print <laughs> they did clearly like i had half a mind to buy one but i'm just like nah, i don't like i like perfume but i don't 
know if I really want them on my wall staring at me all the time, telling me to brush <laughs> yeah. my teeth. That's what I should have done. I should have bought one and hang it in my bathroom so that every time I brush my yeah. teeth, I could think, oh, perfume would be happy with me right now. All right, so before we get into our specific conversation about the performance that we went to see in New York, uh, Sully, Sailor Moon has a really long history on stage. So could you kind of give us the short and sweet version of what that looks like? So in 1993, uh, Bandai teamed up with Toei Animation to produce a musical version of Sailor Moon that was supposed to be, it's called the Dark Kingdom Resurrection Arc, and it's basically like a, uh, a, a pseudo-sequel to the first season of the anime. The musicals kind of take bits and pieces from the anime and the manga and kind of do their own thing, and the first set of musicals lasted from 1993 until 2005, and they're divided into stages. Now, American fans think that stages refer to the actress playing Sailor Moon. That's a generation. A stage is basically like who is on the production staff, like what sort of changes happen in terms of creatives. So the first stage um, is the early 90s musicals, the second stage is the sort of latter half of the 90s and then uh, going into the 2000s. And then the third stage is actually just the last two musicals of that time period. Um, personally, I'm a big fan of the first stage uh, and the first generation with uh, Anza Oyama as Sailor Moon. That's my favorite. Um, the others get kind of squirrely. Sailor Moon fights Dracula in a series of musicals. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's one where... <laughs> there's, there's, it's not one. There are several musicals. The the Transylvania Dracul arc, which is uh the only musicals that are kind of have their own continuity between each other, mm-hmm. where Sailor Moon is constantly against the forces of Dracula and you know all of his vampire minions. Um, so is Dracula played by Gary Oldman? No, he's actually played in one musical by the one of the actors who played Tuxedo Mask in the first stage. So it's really weird. Um, and then okay, so we're we're gonna get into that a little bit later. But is it common for uh, actors to jump around in roles between productions? Yes, um, especially okay. in the Sailor Moon musicals because one, they tend to be uh, cross cast. Even so. In 2013, a new set of musicals not connected to Bandai, these were done by uh, Nelke Planning, uh, they are done in the style of Takarazuka. They are not Takarazuka performers, even so some, even though some actors from that troupe were in the musicals, um, but they are done all-female. Um, in the older musical, there were men who were playing parts, but usually they only played a few. Usually... Tuxedo Mask was always played by a man, and usually one or two of the major villains, like uh, like Tiger's Eye or Professor Tomoe or uh, Kunzai, is played by a man, and then the rest are all female casting. Only one time was there a man playing a woman, and that was uh, uh, Pets. One of her uh, actors was a man playing her as a drag character. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting to have the character Fisheye, who in the anime 
is a male who presents in the feminine way, uh, kind of goes back and forth between presenting as a man and a woman, being played by a woman saying, I'm a man who likes men, but I'm played by a woman. It's very confusing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of funny. And they actually, in one of the newer musicals, have all the Amazon trio go, Fisher goes, I'm a man who's attracted to men. What about you? And then Hawkside goes, well, I'm a man attracted to women. Well, what about you, Tiger's Eye? I don't know what my gender is. And it's very confusing and upsetting and they comfort and it's very funny. Um, They're the the real LGBT icons that we need. Um, But so I've lost my train of thought. I get very passionate talking about these musicals. Um, but yes, it's very common for actors who played one role to play another. I know that Hawk's Eye uh, later went on to play Sailor Uranus, and I know that uh, uh, Tuxedo Mask's actor started out playing Kunzai, then he played Tuxedo Mask, and then later he played Endymion, and then later he played Dracula. It's So yeah, it's pretty common, and that has translated over into the newer musicals. Now, do these cross between stages, or are these, like, between, like, years, or individual performances that people switch around roles, or, like, how does that work, or is that even public knowledge? So this is, it's a little bit of both. So how the Sailor Moon musicals originally were structured was that you would see that there were usually two performances, or or two, there was the original, and then there is the Kaitaban, which is the sort of remastered. So, like, for example... Um, HD. Well, so there's a, a musical based on the Amazon Trio arc of Supers. Um, and they do that, and they have the songs, they have the plot, and then there's the Kaita Bomb, where they're like, okay, we're going to switch some things around. We might change up some actors, we might uh, remix some songs, maybe change some lyrics. It's, it's, it's a restaging with a few new added elements. Um, and usually one play would play in the summer, during summer vacation, and one during winter vacation, so when school's let out. And so... Um, between those, actors would change sometimes. Uh, usually villains. Usually the, the girls stayed relatively the same cast, but villains frequently uh, will switch around uh, either actors or their role in the story or what have you. Mm-hmm. So how does that bring us to this most recent performance? So an, a, a real quick, uh, a quick brief recap on the history of the Sailor Moon musical. So the first, uh, the classic musicals are the first uh, three stages. Uh, they're done by Bandai. And then after that, many years later, so 2005 happens, and then there's no musical until 2013 when they do La Reconquista, which is a completely different company doing it, a different cast, a different sort of style. It's more, the older musicals are very campy. The costumes are weird. Queen Barrel looks like a Christmas tree in the first one. Um, <laughs> The wigs are awful. Usagi has this atomic yellow messy yes. wig. And me and my friend, we call it that. We call it the atomic yellow wig because that is the exact color we have described like it as. The iconic yellow wig. I love, I love those looks though because I guess I watched them like on repeat when I was in high school and I was like, whenever I was upset, it's like, at least Sailor Moon understands me. So I'm very attached to them as kitschy and campy as they are. And the newer ones were very elegant. Uh, the first one is almost operatic. Like some of the musical numbers are verging into opera territory. Um, yeah. <laughs> especially like the one where it's Queen Beryl confronting Endymion before they try to kill Serenity. It's, it's almost like an opera. Um, they did four of them. Or, yeah, what, like, three or five. They did one for each arc, so five. I had to think for a moment. And then after that, they were done. 
Uh, they did do a performance in Houston at Anime Matsuri that my friend Akira did get to see, and I'm still jealous. But she did get me uh, Sailor Mars and Sailor Mercury's autographs in a program book. Um, yes. I need to frame them. Uh, they got wet, and but their pages oh, are no. but their pages are safe. They're slightly warped, but I'm thinking I could frame them, and they would you would not tell the difference. So I'm just like yeah. that. They're safe. My girls are safe. Um, after those that music- Houston performance, that was only like what two years ago. Wow. Yeah, and it wasn't a bridge version. It was like a twenty-minute version, um, and you can see the whole thing yeah. online. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's like the Limeras are attacking Houston. What do we do? Better call Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask. Um, all the way from Japan. All the way from Japan. Um, I don't know why they're in Houston, but you know, don't ask questions. <laughs> you mean, um, when, when evil comes, you know the Sailor Sailor Scouts. They just gotta go. They gotta go. <laughs> so now we have two uh, musicals. We have the Nogazaki 46 musical, which it's kind of like this one. It's not a musical in the strict sense. It's more like a, a, a concert with a plot. And they, like this one that you guys saw, have a rotating cast. They had the sun cast or the moon cast and the star cast. Um, and I was not a fan uh, because it was just kind of... You could tell it was for that that idol group. It was more for them than for Sailor Moon fans. And the costumes were really kind of cheap and cheesy, like the Steno. Their uniforms are like this weird silver material, so they all look like baked potatoes. Um, Luna is a puppet, and while I'm glad to have Luna back in the musical, she's only in the very first one, and then they cut the cats out completely. No. Uh, really it's, kind of, it's kind of a silly. And then... Uh, you had this one, which is, they've been teasing this for a long time, and all they ever called it was, like, it's going to be a musical dance special effects show, and we're like, is that, that's, that sounds like a musical, but it's not. Um, it is done by Nelky Planning again, but they have a new cast, and it's basically like, this is a completely different story from the ones we did starting in 2013 and usually the idea is once we hit the sailor galaxia arc and we finish it that era of the musicals is done that's the last uh, arc of the storyline for sailor moon we're starting over again and this one um again is is more of a concert it's more like a concert with a plot but i kind of like the look of it more and i like the idea of it more and it's kind of nice that from the little bit I've seen I've seen a few clips and I know they actually do La Soldier which is the song from the 90s musicals mm-hmm. that was kind of like that was the Sailor Moon musical song and then the older mu- the newer musicals did not use any they did not reference any of the older stuff at all except for uh, the actor who played Chaos and Tiger's Eye uh, uh, Ruji I can't remember his last name off the top of my head or family name off the top of my head uh, they used a pre-recorded version of his dialogue from one of the older musicals to have him play Chaos in the last one. Um, and when they did the first musical and they had a karaoke bar, they used songs from the old musicals. But other than that, they never sang any of the old songs. And so it was nice that they did uh, both Moonlight Legend and La Soldier along with their own song. It kind of like was a nice way to tie all of these eras up together. And that's kind of what struck me, like, having only sort of a second-hand, um, or third-hand, rather, I guess, uh, exposure to the Sailor Moon musicals, uh, with the exception of whichever one you had me watch, like, a year ago. Which one was that? Uh, uh, Le Mouvement Final. 
Okay, other than watching that one, which half of it I accidentally watched raw, so it's hard to comprehend. <laughs> I sent um, you the I sent it with the subtitles. You're right, and for some reason it I I don't know what happened in that moment, but it was mostly Austin just being an idiot, so uh, <laughs> just ignore that. Um but yeah, it seemed to me, just because of the way that this particular musical performance stage ensemble 2.5D whatever thing was constructed, it seemed to be kind of like taking the uh, last, you know, 30-ish years of Sailor Moon on stage and like doing the greatest hits version. Um, that's kind of what it struck me as because they did... Um, because essentially the way that the show was structured is that they had, like, the narrative show first with some songs in it, and then they took a break, and then they basically did, um, like, a an truncated... An idol concert. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's like an idol, like a greatest hits truncated, like, collection of some of the biggest, like, songs, I guess. And then the big finale was them singing the Sailor Moon opening theme. got the cast up and i always find that really really interesting to talk about um because it's always interesting to see what people have been in before um they were in their current role so um usagi is played by tomomi kasai and she was a member of akb48 which is really cool um, i'm like well out of my akb48 phase but that's still really really awesome um, she was also in Common Rider W, which is also very, very cool. I haven't seen that particular one, but, um, seems like she plays a pretty popular or, um, recurring character. I don't know. Um, someone will, will actually leave me on that, I'm sure. Um, and then Mercury is played by Momoko, uh, Kaechi. And she apparently is a actress who has been in a lot of Japanese drama shows and movies. Um, it doesn't specifically say which ones. Um, but she apparently travels a lot, according to this, and posts on Twitter, like, a Sailor Mercury doll, like, uh, like she'll take pictures of her Sailor Mercury doll in the places that she's traveling and, like, post them to social media, which is really cute. 
So uh, on here, it's, it's it, from a from a different article than the one that you're reading because uh, mm-hmm. I'll I'll, uh, I'll link that one in the in the show notes for sure. But uh, mm-hmm. she is known for the Bloody Chainsaw Girl Returns franchise. Dear Lord, <laughs> which sounds like something that you should probably watch. Story maybe. <laughs> um, so that's that's good to know. Okay. And then moving on, Mars is portrayed by Yui Hasegawa. Um, she is mostly a voice actress, and she's done stuff for Fantasy Star Online too, um, as well as um, she played Vil- Vilui, I think is how you pronounce it, from The Witches Five, um, in another Sailor Moon musical, which is really cool. <laughs> she was in the uh, the um, uh, cut that out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it's, it's got the French title, and I know I'm going to butcher it, but uh, Un Nouveau Voyage. Oh, Un Nouveau Voyage. Thank you. <laughs> Unlike how, how um, Austin, how did you pronounce it? Uh, <laughs> Un Nouveau Voyage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway. Sorry. Um, Sailor Jupiter is played by Kata Matsuzaki. And she was in a film called Blood Club Dolls, which also sounds like something <laughs> I would like. Um, Man, did they just did they just go to like the horror film set and like grab? I a want bunch of you, these and I want you. Yeah. Um, apparently, she's very active on Instagram and posts photos of cats pretty often, so that's cool. I mean, there's nothing else you should be doing on there. <laughs> um, Venus is played by Yu Nakanishi. And she's been in other stage plays, including Luna Rosa, Luna Rossa, I don't know, I'm sorry, um, Rampo Chron- and Rampo Chronicle. Um, and this is a really good article, so you should link this too, because it shows all their social media if you're like interested in keeping up with any mm-hmm. of these This people. is from uh, SailorMoonNews.com. Mm-hmm. Um, Queen Beryl is Makoto Aikawa, and she was awesome as Queen Beryl. Like, she just really had such a stage presence, even though she wasn't really doing anything but laughing. (laughs) Um, but she has been in a, uh, number of stage plays within the past couple of years. Um, once again, it doesn't list what she was in, but I'm sure that's not too difficult to figure out. Um, let's see. Kuzanite, uh, Kunzite, I don't know why I pronounce that that way. Just start over. It's, it's yeah, a combination of Kunzite and Cuisinart. <laughs> Thank you. My favorite Sailor Moon character, Cuisinart. <laughs> um, Kunzite is played by Rio Sonata. And that's really exciting because um, this actress is actually a trans woman. You don't see, like, I guess, trans actors and actresses in roles the same way you do here. And even then, we still don't cast a lot of trans people in our media. But um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Apparently, she's very active on social media as well. And the absolute freaking legend, Tuxedo Mask, <laughs> is played by Riona uh, Tatemichi. And this is the fourth character that she has played in a Sailor Moon musical. She was um, Hawk's Eye and um, Sailor Star Maker and Rubius, yes, which is really cool. So she she has some experience. And um, then they had the the dancing group, um, the Heart Team and the Star Team, I think, or the Diamond Team, I think is what it is. My I, I can't see it very well, but... Um, they were really cool. So this is a group of ladies, and they're, um... <laughs> you! 
excuse me, they are um, just very well versed in acrobatics and they were up there doing some like crazy um, wild stuff. <laughs> and they they were a lot of fun as well. I think they stole the show just as much as the actual like actresses. Okay, so this particular style of musical is something that called the a 2.5 dimensional musical entertainment. Uh, that's what it's called. And I'm reading off of the Anime News Network report here. Uh, and it is, quote, a new genre of stage performances that are based on Japan's ubiquitous and profitable cultural exports, anime and manga. So it's basically the idea of, it's pretty straightforward. It's like combining like 2D animation and graphic novels with live 3D entertainers. Um, and that is pretty much exactly what they did. Like they created this um, very, very elaborate uh, stage show involving like lights and confetti and like projected effects and mm. uh, a video screen in the background. Um, and a good old and scrim. <laughs> Yeah, and a good old scrim exactly using that for some of the uh, for some of the uh, projection effects, um, and uh, it was just incredibly impressive. Like um, having watched the one that Sully uh, showed me uh, back a year or so ago, it was not very effects heavy, um, and I didn't really know what to expect jumping into this particular performance. Um, I I had I was under the impression that it was going to be kind of a traditional stage performance with some musical stuff just like anything on Broadway and it would have some effects but it wouldn't be it would still be about the narrative mm -hmm. um, but with this particular performance it really was not it was like the structural skeleton of the narrative where you get a grasp of generally who the characters are you get the idea that they're all friends Queen Beryl and her henchmen are after them and Tuxedo Mask is there and he like gets kidnapped and they have to rescue him and all this stuff. Um, but it's really told very, very visually and through the dances, uh, almost in a way that it's, it's kind of, it kind of feels like a, very much like a cartoon. And I'm, I'm watching like, Cats, the musical, basically. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's very very stripped down like even me not being a sailor moon fan per se and not really knowing the material it feels extremely uh stripped down but not not in a way that takes anything away from it because it was because the whole point of it was it was supposed to be a visual exercise not necessarily a narrative one mm -hmm. the narrative was sort of it seemed like every like like they were structuring the show in a way that you were supposed to kind of already know if your brain who the can put together a basic idea based on context you can easily follow it <laughs> yeah absolutely and uh Sully, you were talking before the podcast about how sailor moon is a little bit like batman could you elaborate so everything in my life is like batman um <laughs> i'm like batman tori's like batman is there anyone here who's not like batman Wow. <laughs> um, so, um, what I mean is, there have been several adaptations of Sailor Moon. There's the original manga, which is uh, was written almost kind of concurrently with the anime. It's weird. I mean, Sailor B came first, and then Sailor Moon, and the anime was almost a thing being developed with uh, Naoko Takeuchi when she was writing it. It's it's weird. So there's the manga. There's the anime, there's the musicals, there's the live-action show that's done kind of like a tokusatsu Power Rangers show. Um, and all of these have their sort of 
good points and bad points. Like, for me, the original anime has a lot of characterization for the bad guys. Uh, like, we have Kunzai and Zoisite being lovers. We have um, the sort of inner, like, machinations of how the Black Moon Clan kind of have their own sort of, like, uh, little schemes running around each other. We get to see uh, Professor Tomoe sort of fall from grace. Uh, and a lot of these villains are also redeemed in some way. We see the Amazon trio being given dream mirrors, so they kind of are given souls. We see um, we see things like uh, uh, Aluminum Siren being killed by Galaxia in front of Sailor Legcrow and her having a breakdown over it. Um, we see how the Steno are kind of fighting one amongst each other for Queen Beryl's sort of attention. And I kind of like that as opposed to the manga where they are really just monsters of the day. It's ooga booga, I'm going to get you Sailor Moon. Oh, no, I'm going to be blasted away. Um, <laughs> on the opposite side with the manga, we get a lot more uh, characterization of Tuxedo Mask, who in the anime, he's kind of like, uh, I'm either going to be a Ken doll and I'm going to be your boyfriend, or I'm like... I'm the closest thing to Adam West in this universe we have. I will show up, say a corny speech about being good and righteous, and then, you know, off I go. I haven't helped in any way. Um, and then you have the live-action show, which, for me, is probably the best representation of the girls, because we really get to see them as everyday high schoolers, or, or middle schoolers, as opposed to, you know, just superheroes all the time. And so, because there are so many different incarnations and interpretations, you can kind of, uh, like when you were saying about this particular stage show, like, you, you don't need a lot of context, because in a way, you know, it's like, well, who doesn't know Sailor Moon? Apparently a lot of people, because I've mentioned to a few people in my life, like, yeah, I'm really into Sailor Moon. What's that? You know that thing from the 90s? I don't follow. You know, mm -hmm. the girl with the, she's got the, the hair and the, the moon wand and, you know, in the name of the moon. The Dragon Ball Z for girls. I, I've said that before Basically. and they're like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, were you not alive in the 90s or the early 2000s? No. Um, but with this, it's like, you know, Sailor Moon has become, as that thing said, a cultural export. She's just kind of a thing. So, like, do you really need to know all of the intricacies like you need to know all of her powers and where she got her powers and like all the like drama from the the silver millennium and all that no it's just sailor moon turns into sailor moon she fights an evil queen and her boyfriend wears a tuxedo and then you just go with it um <laughs> like austin i'm sure you not really having seen much of the series could at least get the basic gist of like this is the good guy this is the bad guy this is the love interest they're color-coded okay i'm up to speed Yep, that was, mm -hmm. yep. Mm -hmm. And like, so, and like that, they, we were told years ago, it's like, this is not a musical. They're like, they were very specific. This is a musical dance special effects show. And we were all like, well, what does that mean? And now we, we know what it means. It, it was exactly what they said it was. It's not a musical in the traditional sense of the word. Mm -hmm. So, Tori, mm -hmm. watching the show, what was your reaction? Um, I thought it was amazing, but like, yeah, I'll share those sentiments of it being like watered down. And I really don't mean that as an insult. It just very is very much a taste of like, this is what it's supposed to be. But then, yeah, if you have seen the actual legit stage shows, you know, there's a story and there's actually dialogue. And um, so what they did for this one is for the few moments that there were, um, excuse me, that there was dialogue. They were subtitled on a screen, but if you have basic, like, 
baby knowledge of Japanese, you can follow along fine. Like, I've never... The only time I had to look at the subtitles was when um, they were singing songs. Um, but anything you need to know is basically happening on the screen that's on the stage or actually on the stage. Um, it was beautiful. A- Ami-chan, Ray-chan. <laughs> they subtitled that, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, everybody in this audience, like, has to know what that means. Like, what? <laughs> Not if they still think Usagi's name is Serena. Serena, and it always will be. No, I'm kidding. But, um, it, it was just, it was really cool. There was a lot of, like, blacklight effects and, like, blacklight makeup and things like that when her teachers and classmates got possessed oh man that was so cool so clever a very cool scene and i just i can't even put it into words it was just like there was so much going on but it was all perfectly executed like nobody nobody messed up nobody fell nobody anything like it was just so so perfect and i love the um when she sees tuxedo mask and like her heart eyes are on like a like think of like a prop that you would use for a photo booth, like fake glasses or something, and they'd have it on that stick, and then you would just hold it up. But that's how her heart eyes were. <laughs> and it was so funny. And she was just, like, going around the stage, like, pushing them in and out for, like, the doki-doki. And she's just going, ah, ah. <laughs> like, and then there's this whole, like, elaborate fantasy scene where she's on a carousel horse, and so is Mamaru, and she's just like, ah, tuxedo mask. Oh, Usagi. Ah, tuxedo mask it was so hilarious and um it was like back and forth like that for like a couple minutes (laughs) really silly and it's so funny because you're like okay okay when are they gonna be done but like it never it never felt like that you know what i mean it never felt like it was annoying Mm -hmm. and i think all of the actresses really captured their characters well jupiter was tall that's the most important part um and I loved that song that they were singing about Usagi that was basically just like, you're an annoying little brat crybaby, but you're our treasure and you're our best friend and we love you. <laughs> it's important to be honest with your friends. It is. And um, bless, bless the guy that was sitting next to me who was so funny. Um, when they started playing Moonlight Legend, we both very loudly kept singing after they stopped um, because they took like a instrumental interlude so they could jump out in the audience and stuff and he and I just look at each other and we were like oh guess not (laughs) speaking of people we were sitting near oh yeah uh, so we were not in the pit Uh, we were in the like second section behind it I guess the second pit (laughs) yeah the second pit essentially the yeah pit pit two um so we were sitting behind uh, some folks that were very obviously dressed like like pretty standard Japanese businessmen types. And I was thinking, oh, these like middle-aged men that are in suits, like they look a little awfully fancy and a little bit not like this target demographic or, or whatever. That's, see, um, that's, that's not right because they could very well be into Sailor Moon. <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right, but it's just not what I expected compared to all of the other well, we folks that out. were in the audience. <laughs> So when we found out, because some other people came up to um, to speak with them that were wearing like badges, like official badges and stuff, and they like got up and they bowed to each other and stuff like that, very cordial, very whatever. And um, we did not, I, I mean, I didn't find out exactly who was sitting in front of us, but one of the people that came up to speak to them was Makoto Matsuda, who was actually the casting director for the show. 
and uh, I recognized him because he had a very, very recognizable look about him, and I saw some um, some uh, press photos released uh, with him and the cast together, and the caption was like, Makoto Matsuda with the cast of Salem Moon the Live, and he was wearing the same exact thing that I saw this other guy wearing, and it was totally definitely him, so it was really neat that I don't know exactly who we were sitting behind, but we were sitting behind some people who knew the casting director for the show, yeah. and I got to see him very briefly in his very fancy black suit with his red tie. And I'm pretty and sure I'm we're like, in one wow. of their selfies. <laughs> we were, yeah. <laughs> Which was really weird. So that, yeah, that was pretty wild. Uh, no idea exactly who those guys were. Maybe they were Mm-mm. producers. Maybe they were family. Maybe they were just friends. Probably, of probably a whomever. mix of everything, I would think. Maybe so, but that was still like a strange experience a yeah. little bit. <laughs> a very important question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I follow a lot of Sailor Moon Twitters, um, and, <laughs> and a lot of them went to this show to further my own envy for getting to go to one of the things I've loved since I was a teenager. Um, uh, anyway. I'm sorry. I, I'm not bitter. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm, I'm actually very seriously happy you guys got to experience this. Like, you know, it is, it is a wonderful, like, I, I am never unhappy when I watch a Sailor Moon musical. Um, yeah. But one thing I noticed a lot of them said they had problems with was uh, people f- filming and taking pictures in the audience. Uh, did you guys we have that? We didn't see any of that. Like, no? not not at least, not around us at least. They were really, really aggro. Like, the, the venue, the people at the theater where we saw Frozen were very, very passive aggressive about their, like, get off your phone. But, like, the people at the PlayStation Theater, oh, my Lord, they were, like, hella aggressive. Um, like, this guy that was, like, staff, he was just going up and down the aisle shouting, like, put your phones away. But... I love your New York accent. <laughs> it's very Patty LuPone. Oh. <laughs> I'm walking here. <laughs> and that's that's how we lose every subscriber we have. Um, anyway... So they they were super aggro about it, um, and but yeah, nobody around us like everybody around us was like super polite. Like the guy sitting next to me, like he turned off his Apple Watch and like all sorts of stuff. So I I guess maybe they were just sitting in a in a weird place. But they definitely did say like no no audio, no video, no pictures. Even even for the like curtain call, and usually that's when you can take pictures and stuff. So. You don't truly respect Sailor Moon until you make sure your Apple Watch is turned off in front of her. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's I've just always a, said that. That's just a thing in Japanese theater is you do not. I mean, here's the reasoning. Most, a lot of Japanese performances, especially 2.5D or anything anime or idol related, there's going to be a DVD. There's going yes, to be a exactly. CD. You're going to get to see it. And, like, that's my big thing is I'm really big into archiving. So, like, I really like it when shows put out a professionally shot record of the performance or, mm-hmm. or release a CD. 
Um, and knowing Sailor Moon, like, there's going to be a, a release, or there's going to be some way of, of re-experiencing this. So when you go in, okay. yeah, you turn off all of your devices, and you sit down, and you completely focus your attention on the performers. It's just, one, it's polite, and two, it's just, it's one part of how Japanese culture is in theater, and... You know, it's like with Frozen, like you said, you they're going to tell you to very passive aggressively probably to turn off your recording equipment because people will upload on YouTube and like Exactly. And, and see, I I don't I don't get angry at that because the thing is is that's a stark contrast between American theater. Like American theater is still not an accessible pastime for people and that's really unfortunate. Like we got discounts tickets and those are still expensive to me, like for Frozen. And it's just like, you know, you people want to look down on people for not being able to go do these things. But OK, when you're charging one, two, three hundred dollars plus for like crummy seats, like what do you expect? <laughs> I think I think a, a big problem with that is not necessarily like, oh, because a lot of people can't afford it. That means they should be allowed to take pictures and video. I don't really mm-hmm. think that's the answer. Well, no, no, I that's not part that's of not it. really what I'm saying is like, why don't mm-hmm. we have that kind of option where like, yeah, like most every live performance in Japan, like concerts and like even the Vocaloid concerts and stuff like those get Blu-rays and DVDs yes. and stuff. So it's like, why mm-hmm. are we not doing that when that's just as feasible of an option? In my freshman year I- of college, I had to take an acting class as like an elective and, um, I, uh, this was brought up, I said, uh, personally, I think every, and it is actually, every production on Broadway is archived and put into the New York Library, um, hmm. but you can't access it unless you have a really good reason. I know because I have a friend who's petitioned the New York Library to release a recording of Rocky Horror for, like, several times. They're like, no, you can't use it for your documentary, which you think would be a Thanks. good reason. <laughs> um, exactly, that's that as like valid a reason. reason as any. <laughs> um, but, uh... <sighs> I said to me, I think every, and they're like, no, the theater is a magical experience. And if you can't experience, you can't. Oh my and I'm like, oh God, it's just people, it's adults playing make believe. Get over yourself. Just say you don't want poor people to have fun and move on, Charles. I, was, <laughs> like, I remember when I was in high school, I was also watching the Little Mermaid musical on Broadway on YouTube in like 12 parts over and over and over. And I would have oh never. Oh my God. And it's always some like really, really convoluted name, like. Funky Mermaid gives up <laughs> legs for man. <laughs> I think a lot of sea the, witch like, strikes. <laughs> I think a lot of the theater people, I guess maybe production companies or whatever, they think like, oh, we'll make it more accessible for people by doing traveling shows, and I'm just like, yeah, that that's fine and all, but like they still can't really afford. I mean, nowadays a lot of shows don't even release cast recordings like on CDs, which is like, you know, the last way you can get to experience it, which is really sad. Exactly. Like everybody wants to give me crap for like listening to the Hamilton soundtrack and like enjoying it in my car while I do my one man rendition of it all. But like, when am I ever going to have 200 plus dollars to just go see Hamilton? Like I don't, I don't kind of, I don't have that heck you money as much as I wish I did. (laughs) And see, it's so. not to get too off topic, but it's kind of this, a similar thing happened to opera. Opera used to be a more common uh, sort of populist art form, um, but eventually it was elevated by the middle and upper classes into being something that only people with money and access could reach. And something similar happened to theater. Theater was the common denominator art form, you know, and then it became mm-hmm. more and more of a thing that people with money were that was what they could do because usually they are the patrons and then they're like well we don't want to sit and see theater with all of these 
poor people you call them uh we do not want to do that and so yeah there's this proletarian there's this theory in theater that uh no matter how transgressive your art form is ultimately it has to be transgressive enough to reach a certain audience but enough to placate the people who are giving you the theater space and who are coming to see your show. Remember who's seeing these Hamilton shows are not the people who are really into like rap or, you exactly. know, it's, it's, it's rich white people coming in and there's, exactly. isn't this so charming? They're, uh, as uh, someone on YouTube I watch sometimes mentioned, it's not too surprising that the first real rap Broadway show is about the whitest thing ever. It's funny how we took a uh, podcast about uh, Sailor Moon the musical and turned it into an indictment of neoliberalism, but I'm kind of okay with this. <laughs> Look, Honestly. Sailor Moon belongs to everyone. That is what Usagi would yes. want. Amen. All right, so uh, any final thoughts on the show before we wrap it up, guys? Um, can I just say that if you are traveling via air, please make sure you have all your proper government provided uh identification documents with you so you don't have to have a embarrassingly close uh very invasive tsa search <laughs> uh you're totally not speaking from personal experience no, are you not, not at all so for those of okay. you um to which i am your role model don't be me in this one case <laughs> <laughs> Um, un- unrelated to Tori's TSA related unfortunate uh, situation uh, I guess just wrapping up I really had a lot of fun going to see the Sailor Moon <coughs> musical and, uh, like I said in the beginning it has really inspired me to get more into Sailor Moon like I've always sort of appreciated it from afar and sort of enjoyed the idea of Sailor Moon but now I'm just having a whole lot of fun actually sitting down and watching the show it's, it's not something I ever did whenever I was a little kid I was just sort of out of my purview i was like too busy being into spider-man and the x-men and all that non-anime you should have been a galaxy brain like me who loved spider-man and sailor moon so much that you would wear both costumes at once (laughs) spider-moon i mean like sm sailor moon spider-man why doesn't sailor moon have a hyphen sailor man Sailor Man. <laughs> a lot of the a lot of That's the Popeye. original right, right. Uh, uh, English translations of Sailor Moon, like from Japan, like when they would use English, would just write it as one word, and I find that very funny. <laughs> Sailor Moon. Uh, <laughs> Sailor Moon. I, it's, it's better than Spider-Man as one word, because that's just Spitterman. Spitterman. James Spitterman, attorney at law. Exactly. <laughs> if you really enjoyed this musical, I know they released the soundtrack on iTunes, but it's an instrumental. There are no vocals, which is a interesting move uh there there have been some uh speculations and theories as to why that is so but it is on itunes um if you're interested in any of the older musicals uh the 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 early 90s through the 93 to 2005 one there's a website called sea of serenity and they do subtitles they uh basically did an entirely new translation of all the musicals that had been released um so if you want to get into the musicals hey they're literally out there for you um and if you want to get into the 2013 era musicals uh you can find them on dvd and blu-ray they're uh 80 dollars usually or more from japan so you know sounds about right there's a there is a bit of a cost barrier i will encourage people to support the official release uh even if there is no english subtitles or anything if you just want to own them it is it's an investment, but it's usually worthwhile having have bought Japanese musical DVDs before. Um, and if not, Sea of Serenity also has those. But, you know, we're just going to just keep it as that is. <laughs> and I 
guarantee this will probably not be the last time that we talk about Sailor Moon on this podcast. Hopefully oh, no. we'll be talking about <laughs> Sailor Moon more into the future. Um, but I think Honey, that wraps you got it up. a big moon coming. <laughs> uh, but I think that's it for this particular episode. Uh, I'm Austin. You can find me on Twitter at Bebop Shock. That's Bebop is in Cowboy Bebop and Shock is in Bioshock. And uh, Sully, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Calvacun. That is C A L V A underscore K U N. And that's pretty much it right now. What about you, Tori? Um, I'm on Twitter mostly nowadays at Worst Waifu. Thank you. And uh, as far as general Third Impact anime-related stuff, you can find pretty much everything over on our website, thirdimpactanime.com. We've recently set up an Instagram account where you can see uh, basically the same posts that we put everywhere else, uh, in addition to some event-like convention photos and some of that stuff that is only available on our Instagram, and we put that there. Uh, also, if you're still on Facebook, which if you are, I'm sorry, so am I. We're going to try and escape one of these days. Uh, but we do have a wonderful little community uh, space over there in our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash third impact anime community. Uh, so if you want to join us over there and have a, uh, a meme-free uh, Facebook <laughs> anime group experience, consider popping into our group. Uh, we will uh, show you a decent a decent community of, of chill, laid-back folks that you can uh, have some cool anime chats with. And again, our website is thirdimpactanime.com. And if you really like our show, please consider going over to iTunes or Stitcher and leaving us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, really, really good reviews will probably get read on the show, so keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, but again, thank you guys for listening. Please share the show with folks who might be interested. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Have a good night.